Um, I'm so happy to see you guys here this morning. Let's spend some time in God's Word. I hope you got your Bible ready. Uh, we are going through this series and we are getting to know the Holy Spirit. And we're getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit, not the it or or the force of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it and he's not a force like in Star Wars, but he is the third person of the Trinity, of the triune God. And last week, we sort of began to look at this first encounter that we have with the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit initially introduce us to who God is? And um, it's important that for us as Christians, for those of us who are believers, for us to understand that all we have the power to do is to show someone the truth about who God is and to and, and what Scripture says of God and also what our experience has been with Him. We can, we can tell someone about God, but we can't connect a person to God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we we can we can bring someone as far as we can in telling them about God, but it's the Holy Spirit who creates that first-hand, face-to-face introduction with God in in the life of any person, and it's a very special role. I think about how much I love music, and and how how much music is a part of of showing people who God is. Hopefully, my sermons and anybody's sermons are are about showing the truth of who God is. Um, we show the truth of who God is with our lives. All of those things are really important, and they can lead people to God. But the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, He is the only one who can open the eyes of a person to actually see God for who He is. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. It's it's the difference between being told about a person and meeting that person for yourself. Um, and this is something that I have to realize, and I believe all of us as Christians have to realize that if I want to lead someone to Christ, if I want to evangelize someone and, and see them come into a relationship with God and be saved, the first thing I have to realize is that I can't do that. I don't have the power to evangelize and, 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 bring a person into a relationship with God. I I can't do that. It, it would be the same thing as if I thought I could take two people who had never met one another and put them together in the same room and create a relationship between the two of them. I, I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. The only way that can happen is for those two people to interact with them one another and and a relationship is built between the two of them. And so I can bring somebody into the presence of God. I can help lead someone into the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is the one who opens their eyes to see who he is. The Holy Spirit does do that. He can do that. And and what's amazing about the Holy Spirit is that he creates he, he is able to create this face-to-face interaction with an infinite, invisible God. That's the, the 
first work of the Holy Spirit. And so we saw last week in John chapter 16 that Jesus says one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to convict. And, and Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and convict the world concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So I want us to continue today kind of looking at how the Holy Spirit continues this work of conviction in the heart of a sinner and how the Holy Spirit leads someone into a real, true, saving relationship with Jesus. This is almost like the part two of what we talked about last week. So, um, you know, when I think about my life and I think about all the times in my life that it's been pointed out to me that I'm wrong <laughs> and that's quite a bit. And if you're honest, you would probably say the same thing. Um, whenever it's brought to my attention that I've done something wrong, said something wrong, thought something wrong, um, there are different reactions or results that come from that. And this is what I mean. Sometimes I'm corrected by someone. I hear what they say. I understand what they're saying. And I feel remorse or I feel sorry that I did that. And I'm so driven by my remorse or my regret or the conviction that I have that I, I, I make sure that I don't do that anymore. But then if we're honest, sitting there sometimes when we're corrected, we, we hear it, we understand, and we may even feel convicted or feel sorry for what we've done, but yet we continue to do it. And that's frustrating. That, that frustrates me to know that, that there are times when I'm, it's revealed to me that I'm incorrect or I'm wrong, and I understand and I agree with the fact that I'm wrong, but yet I'm not able to stop doing it. I do it over and over. I, I do that to, to the people that I love most sometimes. And, and that frustrates me. And I want to know what is it that makes the difference? And uh, what is it that makes the difference in the things that, that change about me and the things that don't? Like if I ever experience remorse or conviction about something that I've done, shouldn't that always drive me to never, ever do that again? Why is it? that I continue to repeat it. It's true in, in this context that we're talking today that, that conviction, what we talked about last week, is the first step in how Holy Spirit brings us into a relationship with God. He shows us the guilt of our sin, and then he shows us that there's a need for us to respond to that. And so the Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives first so that repentance can follow that conviction. And the same way that the Holy Spirit is responsible for bringing conviction into our life, the Holy Spirit is also responsible for producing repentance in us. Um, conviction by itself can't save us. Um, I'm sure many of you would, would be able to share stories about times when you've experienced 
the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life, but your response was something other than repentance. Um, and I think this is an important thing for folks to think about. Just because I experience conviction from the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily mean that I've been saved. Because conviction sometimes only leads to sorrow. Sometimes conviction from God just leads us to feel bad about what we've done. And conviction that leads to sorrow or regret doesn't save. Sometimes conviction will also lead us to make promises to God, doesn't it? Sometimes we feel the conviction over our sin and we think, well, God, to try to fix that, I promise I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. And that doesn't produce salvation in us either. Uh, conviction that leads to promises doesn't save. And conviction that leads to determination doesn't save. Sometimes we get so frustrated and we're so self-reliant we're, we're convicted over what we've done wrong and we think, well, I've got to fix it. And it creates this determination in us to do the right thing. Well, conviction that leads to determination doesn't save. Only conviction that leads to repentance can lead us, can, can create that new life in us through the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to look at some scriptures this morning. We're going to be jumping all over the place uh, today. There's not, there's not really one that we're going to hone in on, but we're going to be looking at several. So I want us to start in Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to put them up on the screen for you uh, because we're going to be jumping all over the place. I want us to start in Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, and see uh, a reply that Jesus made to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who were basically bashing him because he was hanging out with the most sinful people. This is what he says, verse 31. Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Look at verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to what? Repentance. Notice that Jesus didn't say that he came to call sinners to conviction. You know why? Because conviction by itself doesn't save. He calls sinners to repentance. And repentance is the one response that leads people into a real relationship with Jesus. So the question we need to think about this morning is how is it that the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, convicts us of righteousness, and convicts us of judgment that's to come. How is it that, that he produces in us through that conviction? How does he create or produce repentance in us that leads to salvation? And there's two aspects of repentance that we're going to look at this morning. Two, two big points. Okay, and here's the first one. Is that repentance is a command given by the Holy Spirit. Repentance is, is going to be two things this morning. And the first one is that repentance is a command. The Holy Spirit calls us to repent by turning toward God. That word repent 
comes from a word that means to turn. It's a, it's a verb. It's an action word. As where conviction is something that we experience. When we move to repentance, we move to action. Repentance is something that we do after we experience conviction. Look at Mark chapter 1 during uh, the ministry of John the Baptist. This was the call. This was the, the invitation of John the Baptist in Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent, that action word for, for turning. I want you to look again in Acts chapter 17. I just want you to see these examples of, of, of where the gospel calls us to repent. Look at Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. This one's a little longer. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now, what? Commands all people everywhere to be convicted? No. To feel sorry for what they've done? No. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world. Do you remember judgment is one of the things that the Holy Spirit brings conviction about? So here it is again. A day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He's talking about Jesus. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So here in Acts, it says that God commands all people everywhere to repent. That's where the transformation happens. There is scripture after scripture in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Repentance is not just a New Testament principle. It's something that God called his people to over and over and over through the prophets in the Old Testament. And he continued to do through Christ and through John the Baptist and through the apostles in the New Testament. God calls people to repent. Once the Holy Spirit convicts us of the truth, then he calls us to turn away from that sin that has separated us from God. The truth is that we've been separated from God by our sin. And the Spirit, he doesn't just enlighten us to the fact that we need to be saved. We need rescue. But he then calls us to turn away. And it's a 180 degree turn in movement. It's turning away from something for the purpose of pursuing something else. That's what repentance means. It means that you turn from one direction, but you don't just turn for the sake of turning. I turn 180 degrees and I change direction. Why? Because I want to pursue something completely different than what I've been pursuing. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer chasing after this, but I'm doing a 180 and I'm going in this direction now. I think the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told in Luke 15 uh, will help us understand this difference between conviction and repentance. There is a definitive moment in the story of the younger son. You remember he's gone, he squandered the wealth 
that his father gave him, his inheritance, and he's found himself poor, with no money, no friends, uh, no home, and he's found himself working, feeding pigs. And when he finds himself in this lowest point of his life, the, the pit, the lowest pit of his own sin and his own selfishness, there's a definitive moment that happens in verse 17 of, of chapter 15 of Luke. And I want us to look at that, this, this part of the prodigal son story. And I think this is going to help us understand. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses. That's important. When he came to his senses, he said, Look how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. Okay, so verse 17, he is experiencing real conviction. He is, he is being enlightened to the truth. It says he came to his senses. It's like his eyes were open finally and he could see. And he sees the truth. My, hired, my father's hired servants have it better off than me. And then look at verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So at this point, he's gone from understanding the truth. Now he's made a decision in his mind of what he's going to do. Look at verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, make me one of your hired servants. So he's he's decided in his mind, this is, this is the truth, and this is how I need to respond. But verse 20 is where the change happens. So he got up and went to his father. He got up and he went. He he was understanding. He was coming under conviction in verses 17. He was understanding what his response was supposed to be or what his response should be in verses 18 and 19. But the change happened in verse 20. He actually got up and went to his father. Um, there's a moment in our lives when we are sinners, before we've come into a relationship with Jesus, there's a moment where the Holy Spirit opens our eyes so that we come to our senses. He shows us the reality of who God is. He shows us the reality of our sin. He shows us the reality of the righteousness of God through Christ. And he shows us the reality of judgment. And we understand and, and we come to our senses. And then when we hear the gospel preached, when we hear someone share the gospel with us, it reveals to us what the proper response is supposed to be. But the change doesn't happen until we get up and go. Until we make a move. Too many people, I'm afraid, think that they can experience salvation simply through conviction because they've because they felt bad they've they understand that they're a sinner that's not a hard concept for them to embrace and they feel bad about it and maybe they feel 
we feel convicted and we say a prayer that we think is going to fix everything. And then we just keep sitting in the pen with the pigs. And we haven't gotten up and gone. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2 says this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What Paul is saying there is that this idea of I can feel conviction and then I can pray and ask Jesus to forgive me and then I can still just continue to sit in the sin that has separated me from God for so long. Why do we think that's going to work? Why, why do we, th and why if we've really experienced true conviction and our prayer reflects genuine repentance, that repentance leads to a turn because that's what repentance is. Just conviction and just a prayer doesn't produce any life in us if we continue to sit in sin. If if Christ has called us out of the of the mud and the filth of our sinful life and we have embraced him in Lord as Lord and Savior, why in the world would we go back to the very thing that he just saved us from? That's what Paul is saying. It's clear that the indication of true repentance in Scripture is change. It's obedience to Christ. If Christ calls us to repentance, and repentance means a change of direction, what do you think that indicates if there's nothing that has changed about our lives? If there's no movement, there's been no repentance. And if there's been no repentance, there's been no salvation. So we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit calls us to move and he calls us to turn away from our sin and turn away from ourself and turn toward Jesus. His finished work on the cross and that alone. But I want us to be real careful this morning. If we're, if we're not careful, we can misunderstand this. And I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. Um, most definitely, repentance is a command in Scripture. But you may be asking yourself, Eric, what if I can't do that? What, what if I can't change? If, if God, I, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit... And I want to change, but I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can get up out of the mud that I'm in. What if, what if the movement, like you don't know how deep my pit is. What if the movement that God is calling me to is, is, is too big for me? Doesn't, doesn't this kind of sound like so far? It could, if we're not careful, it could sound like a, a salvation through works. It could sound like what God does is he convicts us of our sin and he expects us to just uh, 
pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get up and get out of the mud and start walking. And that sounds to me like a like a really works based salvation that we're that we're saved by our own effort to get up out of the mud and go. But that's not what repentance. That's not the only thing repentance is. There's it it's like a coin. So there's another side to repentance that we're going to look at that I want to I want us to understand this morning. So important. And this shows us how important the work of the Holy Spirit is in our life. Not only is repentance a command given by the Holy Spirit, repentance is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us. I want you to look at something really interesting in Acts chapter 11. Repentance is not only something that the Holy Spirit calls and commands us to, but it's also a gift that he provides. Uh, Look at Acts chapter 11. Several verses here, but I want us to read. Let's start in verse 15. As I began to speak, Peter is speaking here, and he's given a report back to to the disciples as to an, an opportunity he had to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, those who were not part of the Jews. As I began to speak... The Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. If you remember um, in, when on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came on the believers there. Peter is saying to this, as he was preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 17. If then God gave them, talking about the Gentiles he had just preached to, if God gave them the same gift that he also gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? And then look at verse 18. When they heard this, when the the people Peter was speaking to, when they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. This was a time when the Jews were, were, were trying to, they were, they were trying to understand that salvation wasn't just for them, but it was for everybody. And Peter's trying to explain to them this verse that as I shared the gospel with them, the same way the Holy Spirit came to us, he also came to them. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't, and it, and it, and it says in verse um, 18, they said, so then God has given repentance resulting in life. The repentance that resulted in the changed life of the people Peter was preaching to that day was not something that they pulled themselves up and did on their own. That repentance that was produced in their life was given to them. By who? By the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't call us to this self-motivated kind of change. 
um, that, that we have to turn back to, to keeping the law and turn back to this religious moralism. That's not what he's calling us to. But verse 17, it says, God gave them the same gift that he also gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus. Peter was saying that the gift of repentance that the Holy Spirit gave to us because we believed in Christ is the same gift that Peter saw the Spirit give to the Gentiles he was preaching to. God gives repentance that results in life. So the Holy Spirit that day when, when Peter was preaching to them, he not only called them to repentance through the gospel, but he gave them the gift of repentance. And it says that that gift of repentance came when they, what? When they believed in the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't just call us to repent, but he, he then beautifully gives us the faith that we need to repent. That faith that we need to believe in the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Once we hear the truth and we're convicted of it, the Holy Spirit calls us to get up and go and to turn away from sin and death and to, and to pursue Jesus. But he doesn't just call us to that and then stand there with his arms folded waiting to see what we're going to do. Because we're not strong enough in our sinfulness. And so he calls us to turn and get up and go another direction. But then he, he grants us the gift of repentance. He calls us to it and then he gifts us with the faith to be able to get up and go and turn. If I think about that story of the prodigal son again, what do you think made it possible for that younger son to get up out of that pig pen and go back to his father? Do you think he did that in his own ability? I don't think so. Do you think it was this sudden moralism that just came on him, this this idea that, hey, I'm, I'm just going to decide to fix myself and go back to my father? This self-produced goodness. Do you think that's what gave him the power to get up and go home? No, I don't think so. Here's what I want us to, to understand. And I think this is how we can tie in this idea of a, a repentance that we're called to and a repentance that God gives us through faith. That younger son could have never gotten up and gone home unless he believed that his father would take him back. If he didn't have the faith to believe that once he got to his father, that his father would take him back. He would have never gotten up to go in the first place. So what empowered him to get up and go? It wasn't him. 
It wasn't his, his resolve. It was the love of his father that he had seen all his life. It's the love and the grace that had been revealed to him. He had seen it firsthand. And he remembered it. And as he sat in his sin, he believed that if I go back to my father, he'll take me back. And so it wasn't, it wasn't his own ability that got him up out of that mud. It was the love and the grace of his father that gave him the power to get up and come home. It's the kindness of God. It's the same thing with us. God doesn't call us to follow him and then just wait around and see what we're going to do. But when salvation happens, he convicts and then he calls us to repent and then he gives us that gift of repentance because we believe in how good he is. I want us to look lastly. This is the last scripture in Titus chapter 3. A beautiful passage that I think will just help us tie all this together. Verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to what? His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by what? By our, by our self-righteousness, by our ability to just fix everything that we do wrong? No. Nope. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings conviction into our life. He calls us to repentance, but because we're really so sinful that we're incapable of getting up out of the mud and returning to God. He gifts us through faith that repentance that we need to actually make the move. So what's the result? When the Holy Spirit first convicts a sinner and then the Holy Spirit gifts and produces repentance in the heart of a sinner, the answer is in verse 5 there of Titus. He saves us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal. This is how real salvation happens. First comes conviction, and then comes repentance, and then finally when those come together, the Spirit produces regeneration. Everything is made new. And all of that conviction and repentance and that regeneration, that, that creation into a new person is all the work of the Holy Spirit of God in the heart of a poor, foolish sinner just like me. And the more I experience that relationship and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life as a child of God, the more I experience his work in me, 
the more I understand what a great work he did in my heart. When he showed me the truth of my sinfulness, he showed me the truth of the righteousness of God and the truth of judgment that was to come. And then he called me to repent. He called me to turn away from my old life and to trust in Jesus alone. And then he didn't just call me to that, but he gifted me with repentance, with the power to be able to make that move, not by my own righteousness, but because of the kindness and the love and the mercy of God. So the question I have for you this morning is, what, what about you? First, have you experienced conviction? Conviction that, that you know is from the Holy Spirit as he's shown you the truth of your sin, the truth of God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness as he died for you. And conviction of judgment that is a part of the gospel. A part of the message of the gospel is that judgment is coming for those who reject God's love. Have you experienced that conviction? Not, not from a person like me, but from the person of the Holy Spirit. And then have you experienced the gift of repentance? Has your life changed? Has the Holy Spirit gone beyond conviction and gifted you with repentance that you can look at your life and see, I can totally see where my moment was. I knew where it was that he changed me. He gave me the gift of repentance. I got up out of the mud and the muck and the mire of my sin and I turned away from it. It, didn't, it doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you never sin anymore, but there was a moment that you chose to repent and walk away from it. And I want you to know if you did that, you didn't just do that on your own power. You did that through the power of the Holy Spirit and he gifted you. He gave you, he granted repentance to you. And then have you experienced the work of regeneration of the Spirit? Are you constantly experiencing his making you new? He does that instantly at salvation. We're, we're instantly made righteous before God. But then there's a sanctification that happens. And that's just a big word for the fact that, that the Spirit is constantly making us more and more into the likeness of Jesus every day that we experience a relationship with Him. If you've experienced all those things, then you've really experienced salvation. But if all you've ever experienced is just conviction about your sin and you've never experienced a real repentance, you can do that. Scripture says that you can, you can ask God to give you a heart of repentance, to give you the power to be able to get up and move. And that power comes by the Holy Spirit because of your faith, because of the fact that you believe. The message of the gospel is to repent and believe. And to repent and believe are, are together. It's not like they're two separate things. They're, they're both sides of the coin. And if you've never done that this morning, you can. You can do it sitting right where you are. 
And so I want to pray for you this morning. Believers everywhere, if you're watching, I want you to pray with me. As we as as we wrap our hearts and our minds around this truth this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of conviction, the fact that you reveal to us through the law and you reveal to us through the truth of your word that we are sinners and that we are hopelessly guilty before you because you are righteous in all that you are and all that you do. And Father, we also thank you for the gift of repentance that you call us to repent, to turn from our sin and to turn to you alone and trust you for salvation, but that you also gift us that. God, if we, we could have done it on our own, we would have done it a long time ago. But it's only when when the Holy Spirit gives repentance and gifts that to us because of our faith in you that we actually see a, a change, a, a turn in our life. And then once we've turned and we've, and we've repented of our sin and we've trusted and turned toward you, you recreate us, you make us into new creations and all the old goes away and everything becomes new. And that's the work of salvation that the Spirit does. And I pray that for those of us who are believers, that we've just come to a greater understanding of just how important the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives and what a huge role he played. He made everything possible. He gave us everything and revealed everything that we needed so that we could come into a relationship with you. And, and salvation in us is not our work, it's his work. And God, I also pray this morning if there's someone who has never experienced conviction and experienced repentance that leads to a regeneration of their life, that that might happen this morning, that they would call out to you, God, in faith, believe and pray. And they don't just, and they pray a prayer that's not just a, a step one, two, three to get me what I'm looking for, but it's a, it's a prayer from a, a broken heart that says, God, please forgive me. I want to I want to leave where I am. I don't want to stay here anymore. And I want to get up and I want to turn to you. But I need you to give me that power. And your word is so true, God, that if anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's through that faith that we experience real repentance. And then you just change people's lives. We've seen it over and over, God. I know so many people who are dear friends that yeah, I've just seen such a tremendous change. And so, God, thank you for that gift. And I pray this morning that if someone is experiencing that grace, that kindness of your love and conviction and in repentance this morning, that they'll reach out to us that they'll share that with us so that we can help them, so that we can begin to disciple them, so they can begin to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in them as he connects them to you and lets them live a spirit-filled life in the name of Jesus. We love you. We thank you for this time. And we pray all these things in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.